So um, we are in a really tiny little mini-series called Meals with Jesus and how that leads us into a life of gratitude and thanksgiving. And we'll be focusing on that all the way up to the Sunday right before Thanksgiving. And so in Exodus 24, starting in verses uh, 4 through 11, and then we're going to skip over to a section where Jesus is instituting the, what, what's called the Lord's Supper. And so this is God's word to you today. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw it against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. And he said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. And this is very unique here. They, they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, and they beheld God and ate and drank. All right, skip down to Mark 14, verses 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That's God's word. It's our practice here to spend some moments in silence. And what we're doing in that moment of silence is remembering that God's here with us and that we are in some mystical way with God by the Holy Spirit. And so what I would like us to imagine as we pray is what it will be like to, to actually sit down and have a meal with God. Um, really imagine that. And that in some ways, that's what we practice here when we come together and worship. And so let's spend some moments in silence. I'll lead us in prayer, and then we'll talk about this text. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, slowly come into the awareness that you are, are here with us as we calm our minds and our hearts and our bodies to know that you have been in pursuit of us even before we were born, which is very bizarre, but Lord, in the deepest parts of our soul and the deepest parts of our heart, what we need from you is what you so freely give, that you have come to cleanse us, that you have come to bring us to yourself, that we may commune with you to be at one with you. And Lord, show us that that is the basis of true community, of an eternal community to which our hearts long for. And so teach us that uh, through the blood of Christ. It's in his name. Amen. 
Um, last year, my family and I found ourselves on the jackpot street for Halloween. And I'm not going to tell you where it is because I don't want you to steal all of the full-size candy bars, Cassie. Um, the, the problem with this house, though, was that they had these uh, huge, like huge electronic like skeletons that would scare like any child, but even, even adults. I mean, they were, they were quite scary. I'm sure this family spent thousands of dollars on decorations. And so my kids were scared, and they said, you know, we want the candy bars, but we're scared to walk through the covenant of the line of dead things, you know, like the, the days of old. And I was like, okay, put your costume on, put your mask on. I'm going to walk in front of you, and I want you to just look at my face the whole time. And as they were looking at my face, I said, it's okay. Dad's not going to let anything bad happen to you. And then the, the candy bars are near. And then when they got the candy bars, it was interesting. They were not nearly as scared leaving. It was almost like the peace and calm had come over their body once they got the goodies, you know. And uh, what you're going to see here in our passage is that there really are, even in a, a fallen world, and these Israelites are about to head into the wilderness where there will be terrible things ahead of them. There really are brief moments in this life where in the midst of all the hard, in the midst of all the scary, in the midst of all of the things that you feel on a day-to-day basis, that you can have peace with God. And you can walk back through the skeletons as, as if things aren't that bad. Now they're still there, but that is exactly what's happening in our text. That these Israelites... They behold God, and they sit down, and they eat, and they drink with him, which that alone is bizarre. But the way that that happens is through the concept and the reality of cleansing. And that's just the the one thing that we're going to talk about today is cleansing, the need for cleansing when the gospel is at the center, that is what creates human relationships that are eternal. That's what creates an eternal community, cleansing. So, uh, what makes God's people distinct? What makes the church, you know, the word church means those who are called out. What makes us distinct is our need for cleansing. Now, I just want that to sit for a moment. What makes God's people distinct is our faults and our failures and our shame and our deficiency. And when we approach God, knowing that that's what we bring and we need cleansing, that's how community is formed. On our path to Him for cleansing. It's not in our good behavior. It's not in the fact that we are different from the world. The most basic fundamental thing that unites Christians is our need for his blood. Now, if you're a modern person, which we all are, um, that's weird that we always talk about blood and sacrifices. We're just like, this is not the Middle Ages anymore. You know, this is the land of Amazon and non-material things where we get all that we want and we don't have to like literally kill the animal to eat it, or if you're a vegetarian, you know, like, do other things to to get your food. But in, in our passage, the reason why blood is so important 
is that throughout Exodus 24, you get this refrain that the people, when they hear the covenant being read, they say, we're going to do it. And you see it here in our passage in verse 7. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. And what they're talking about is the previous three chapters of God's covenant, his law, where he lays out all these rules. And he says, this is what it's like to, to live a flourishing human life. This is what it's like to care for people. This is what it's like to love mercy and do right by one another. And all of the people said, yes, we're going to do that. Now, we make covenants all the time with each other, whether they're written or unwritten. For instance, if you're, if you're dating somebody and you're exclusive in that relationship and that person starts texting somebody else and snapping somebody else and you're going to feel a sense of betrayal because you have what's called an unwritten covenant that you ought not to do that. And if you do, you're cheating on me. Now, that's not written down in a contract anywhere. In the form of a contract, we do it with like titles on cars and houses so that if you steal my car, I can say your name is not on the title. Your name is not on the covenant. And you broke the covenant. And so give me back my car. Well, in the same way, there is this ancient agreement which we all, the scriptures say, which we all intuitively and endemically know that God requires of us a certain type of relationship with him. And he says, way back in the Garden of Eden, he says, Adam and Eve, I don't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the first agreement that God had with human beings. And they got afraid that God was holding something good from them. And with that fear that God was holding something back, what they did was that they broke the covenant. And that got, you know how diseases get spread? That got spread to every human being that ever lived, except one. And what the gospel is about is about how God weaves his plan alongside the story of human rebellion both in terms of the whole world, but also in your own individual story that God has been weaving, even though you have broken the covenant with him, he's been weaving his good plan in the midst of the ways in which we have broken the covenant. Now, like God knows that we have broken the contract and we need cleansing. And when those two things are named by a community, that's when a new type of community can be created. Now, in our passage, something very unique happens that's never happened before since the Garden of Eden. People sat down, and they beheld God, and they ate and drank. Let's just think about that for a moment. They're on Mount Sinai, which is where God's presence was. And they receive the blood of the sacrifice, and they commit to living the way that God wants them to. And just for a brief moment, ever so briefly, they are transported into a way of life where God and people rest in each other's presence and can enjoy one another and experience pleasure with one another and be at peace around other human beings. Being at peace with God, I know this, this, is, this is very uh, uh, hard to understand initially, but being at peace with God 
is the foundation for being connected with other human beings. And that's because community is always a byproduct of heading in the same direction. For instance, you know, most of us in here are Huskers fans, and <laughs> except one. <laughs> you, you, are, you are heading in the same direction. It's like you headed to Memorial Stadium, to Devaney Center last night, and, you know, when you do that, these deep bonds form, you know. You, you bleed Husker red. Um, it's even deeper if you play on a team. Like, you didn't get on that team to, like, make friends, but your goal is, is to win, become a good team. And what happens along the way is deep bonds with other people are formed because you're heading in the same direction, same as, as if you work at a camp. A lot of times this can happen in your workplace. You're all on the same mission, the same goal, and these deep bonds form. And this is why it's very important for us as we think about community. We've all done this to a certain extent where we look for other people for friendship. And when you do that, it never actually happens. Friendship happens along the path as you're heading somewhere else. Now, this is what the scriptures teach about the deepest connection possible between human beings. God's people are united most when they are on their path and need for cleansing. That if you look to the community just to not be so alone, that's not going to work. The foundation for community is cleansing, which leads to communion with God. And community happens as a byproduct of being on that same path. That's very, very important. Which means that our failures and God's willingness to let us take from him is why we are all together. That make sense? Our failures and God's willingness to let us take from him is why we are here. If you seek from the community to get anything else out of it, it will evaporate in your hands because nothing else is that eternal. And the image that he gives, that that God gives throughout Scripture, is not simply that God's people should be an open door to the world. It's It's not just that. It's an invitation to sit at his table. To sit at somebody's table was one of the most intimate things you could do in the ancient Near East. It's what you did with people that you wanted to honor and the people that you wanted to be around, okay? And God says, the thing that makes you fit to be around me is your deficiency, is your failure, is your lack, is your shame, and you need cleansing. That's what's required to be near God. And so oftentimes when people come into a religious space or a worship space, we think think the opposite. This is why when when our shame is exposed or when when we fail in some way, we want to stay away from the community because we forgot that this is not about my performance. It's about his performance. It's about his blood, not mine. It's very, very strange and very, very counterintuitive. If you invite me over to your house for dinner, I'm going to say, what can I bring, right? Just like many of you have done that 
to, to us? What can, what can we bring? Well, God says, I want you to bring the thing that you most want to hide. That's what makes Christian community unique and unlike anything else in the world. And when you approach God with your best foot forward, not with your need, you forgot the gospel. Now, those of us who think of ourselves as a bit more well-adjusted than others, we have to learn this ancient secret that the moment I begin to judge somebody, the moment I want to move away from somebody that I don't understand or that I don't agree with, that, that, that moment is that I'm not actually getting the most out of God. I'm not getting the most out of y'all. I'm not getting the most out of community. I'm not getting the most out of the joy that God is giving into this world because if I am humbled to be at God's table, then I'm going to open my table to anyone. And you become less afraid of what others are going to require of you and how others are going to change you when you're in their presence. And the moment that you kind of get a taste of how the gospel works, it's sort of like eating that candy bar of peace and joy just like my children, and you can actually walk through the skeletons. It's not like the skeletons go away. There's still hard stuff. But there is a sense of peace where you can invite people into your life and even into your table that you don't really understand and that you initially didn't even really like. And God changes you, changes you into a person that can reach out to anybody. If there is a sense of gratitude or if there's not a sense of gratitude, we have forgotten that we've been cleansed and that we're safe, and another was protecting us, and we've begun to operate out of our own strength. Now, I do think that this, you know, this is very, very important. Um, I remember about 15 years ago, I think it was probably with the advent of the iPhone. I remember talking with both students at the campus that I worked at, but also professors and then friends in the city that I was in, the, the whole concept of sin and guilt, like, was not registering with people. I could see it in their eyes. They're just like, I don't, I don't really get what you're saying. And one of the tragedies of the narrative of our culture is that we just need to be liberated from this talk of, like, inner shame and inner sin. And that's the, the narrative is that that's like toxic religiosity that needs to be done away with. But the problem with throwing sin and guilt out as a reality that each of us deal with is that none of us, once you do that, none of us can face failure. None of us can face the times in which we actually do hurt each other or do hurt ourselves. And the scriptures say, and experience bears this out, Unless we have other voices outside of our own head, other voices of affirmation, we will be controlled by that voice of insecurity and fear. That it's strong. It's too strong. And this is why if you cannot find solace in the community, like the embodied community that you're in, whether it's your family or the people that you're around, you will have to find it somewhere. Whether it's online or you'll go to people who will never confront you. Because we can't affirm ourselves enough to be confident to face the world. 
that's because we forgot what sin is in our culture. And that it's important to understand that sin and guilt control us. And we need cleansing. We need a covering. And this is a problem everywhere. Outside and inside the church, we have forgotten that the basis of community is our fallenness and our need for cleansing. But what God does is that even in a culture, he guides us back. He's weaving his plan into each culture through the scary electronic skeletons. And he tells us, and I know this is very controversial, I know, he tells us, do not trust yourself. Don't trust what you feel. Do not lean on your own understanding. You are not a reliable source for yourself. You need other voices that will step in and say, don't do that. Don't don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt that other person. What you need to do is that you need to take all that hurt and hurt Jesus. That's what he came for. And he's the only way to stop hurting yourself and other people. That's the basis of Christian community. That's the basis of how it gets lived out in the gospel. And one of the lies that we constantly have to fight against is that we can do whatever we want to do so long as it doesn't hurt another person. That is so, so toxic, you guys. I was watching a movie the other day, and this guy uh, was in so much pain, he took a knife and he cut off the end of his pinky. And you may say, in our culture today, we're like, that's his prerogative. It didn't hurt anybody. It's just his body. You know, he can do whatever he wants to do. But the moment he did that, he had to run to his neighbor, and his neighbor had to bandage him up. Then his neighbor had to take him to the hospital. In the hospital, the doctor had to fix his finger. And, and what he did in private, even if it was just done to his body, made everybody around him sacrifice. And that means, you guys, that like nothing that we do in private is actually private. Because when you do something that you know you're not supposed to do, what happens is that there's a cloud of shame. And that shame prevents you from interacting with another human being as God's image, which is what you are. But you hide, just like our first parents. Ineffectively, by the way, fig leaves performance. And God says, you don't have to live like that. You do not have to take it out on other people, nor do you have to take it out on yourself. You know where you take it out? On God. That's what he came for. The way of love, you guys, is willing to say to another person, what you're doing is hurting yourself, and it's hurting other people, And there is a better way to be cleansed. You're trying to atone. You're trying to pay. And the way of love can even say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't tell you sooner. Because I was afraid that you would leave me. And I need cleansing too. And God says, now you're getting it. That's the fabric of God's society. Contracts will be broken There's always going to be injustice. There's always going to be pain, and someone's got to pay. And Jesus says, the only way out of not consuming yourself or consuming other people is if you consume me. It's the only way. 
And, you know, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but here's the beautiful part about this and why Paul calls it the power of the gospel for salvation. When you believe in cleansing through his blood, you will not be controlled by the ways in which other people have hurt and harmed you. If you believe that your Heavenly Father will do everything in His power to protect you, ultimately, and you're looking at His face, you can go get that candy bar because you trust your dad. You can go up into heaven and sit down with Him. And most of us think, but there's scary things, and that person hurt me, and I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And you get locked in to what's around you you are not ever going to be able to worry enough to bring yourself peace. You are not ever going to be able to make somebody pay enough to actually bring you peace. Only the blood of Jesus can bring you peace because it was only His blood that doesn't have any sin in it. When you attack another person, there's always some level of justification there because that person's a sin, a sinful person. And so you can find something and be like, well, yeah, that's why I did that, because they did this. And there's this never-ending blame cycle. And what Jesus simply says is, why don't you just take yourself out of the fight? Just take yourself out of the fight. Whether you're the perpetrator or the victim, and this is how you take yourself out of the fight. You look at his face. You yourself go to him and own what you can own. And you think, is God angry at me? Is he abusive? Is he, is he upset that I don't have the courage to face the skeletons? No. God is so pleased with you that he is the embodiment of himself in Jesus Christ. And he says, take my body and take my blood. It's yours. I am for you. My literal body and blood is for you, and do this in remembrance of me. The very simple act of worship, you guys, this is what I'm always trying, I'm always trying to get us to reorient. We have to remember that God is with us. All of our problems stem when we forget that. When we forget that He's, he's with us. We forget that he is, he is always here. Always wanting us. Always wanting to draw us closer to himself. Always, always ready and willing to be, to be a listener, to, to be a lover. He digs, he digs out his ears for us, as Psalm 40 says. And what he's saying here in our passage, he says, let me pay. Let me pay for it. You don't have to pay for it. Don't make other people pay for it. Have faith in my blood. Have faith in my sacrifice. And if you do that, you guys, if we do this together, that is the most powerful force for relational healing that's in the world. Because it is God saying, I am for, for both, I am for and against both parts of this disagreement. And you can see how in my blood that both justice and mercy get poured out into this world. And that's what the blood in the basin and the blood being sprinkled on the people 
and the covenant are all pointing to is this is death. That he is uh, the cleanser and he is how we have communion with him through consuming him. And so I want to end with this. You know, the, oftentimes if I were to ask like a normal person off the street, like how would you describe Christianity? What's Christianity about? It's oftentimes people start talking about how they live and how you should live. And what I simply want to say to you this morning is that Jesus didn't die to make you a better person. He, he says, take me, consume me so that you could commune with me and other people. That's where life is. He came to bring you life. And he looks at us like he looks at his disciples in the night when he was betrayed. And he's like, this is my life, which is for you. Everything's going to be all right if you keep your eyes on him. And he is the true feast. Now, over the course of uh, November after next Sunday, after All Saints Sunday, we're going to talk about how a feast with, with the Lord actually gets meted out in our lives through gratitude and how gratitude can change us. Um, but today, I want us to kind of focus on, on cleansing and how that is the pathway to communion, which is the foundation for Christian community. So let's pray and uh, come to the table. Father, we thank you for your table, and we bring to you now our neediness our uh, failures, our faults, and we know that this is what you actually require. You require us to come with empty hands. And so, would you teach us that at, uh, as we come together, as we walk up here together, as we confess sin, as we hear the words of assurance and forgiveness, that we would know that you, um, you love it. You love it when we come needy. And so, help us to do that. In Christ's name, amen.